Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to our new podcast, Performance People, with me, Georgie. And me, Ben. This podcast is all about people who know about performance. We're going to talk to some of the best at sport, business, entertainment and politics. And chat to those who have been on the journey to the top with them. You can follow Performance People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Or on our new Performance People social channels. Joining us on today's Performance People are a husband and wife team who are motorsport's ultimate power couple. Susie Wolfe is a former British racing driver and a former CEO of the Venturi Formula E team. She's also one of only a handful of women to have driven for an F1 team. And Susie's husband, Toto Wolfe, is the Mercedes team principal and CEO, and he's led that team to seven double world championship titles. I think these two most definitely qualify as performance people. It's an annoyance uh, on myself um, and it's an annoyance in, on all of us in the team that we took decisions that, that were simply wrong. I think there is more to write in the book um, from this year's learning than it is from the, from the last, last eight years. Lewis is rational and, um, and, and intelligent about it. He says, I know I have a shelf life as a racing driver. I, I saw firsthand the racial abuse at that age. You don't realize what it is, but I heard the names he was getting called. But he is different and he's not scared to be different. Guys, thank you for doing this. I know how busy you both are, so we really, really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to start, bear with me on this. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I wanted to start with this story because I think it, it's, it's relevant to us and to both of you. Um, but it's about when Ben and I got married. So um, just right, before... This we... is a bit worrying. <laughs> Why <laughs> just... are you with this? <laughs> just... We haven't previously discussed this, so it could be a mistake. Um, before we got married, though, we had a chat with our vicar. And the vicar that we spoke to before we got married suggested that we take some of his advice about marriage. And this came from a couple that he had previously spoken to that had a really long and happy marriage, had been married for sort of 40, 50 years. And he said to them, what's the secret of your wonderful marriage together? 
And the chap said, well, we had an agreement very early on about who would make decisions. And we agreed that there'd be some big decisions that I would make and there'd be some other smaller decisions that my wife would make. And that's how we've decided to progress through life. And so the vicar said to him, well, and how did that pan out for you? He said, well, so far, remarkably, over a 40-year period of marriage, there has been no big decisions. <laughs> which, which, which sometimes Ben and I sort of share that story with each other and reflect on it and sort of say, well, yeah, who is the decision maker here? I mean, you two both have very strong personalities. Um, and, you know, in your, in your own way, you're huge performance people, which is the title of this podcast. So who, who makes the decisions in the Wolf household? I think, I mean, that's first of all a great story. From my perspective, we definitely share the decisions. I think we always set the priorities, so we know what we, oh, no? No, you take the decisions. Really? Yeah, well, you leave me the, the kind of the easy stuff, uh, which gives me the, the, the wins to kind of um, uh, satisfy my uh, ego in the marriage, and then the real direction is happening in the background, and you do that. Yeah, I would definitely say part of my role in the marriage is logistics manager. So I have total schedule in my phone and I'm the one kind of trying to keep everything up in the background that everything functions. Um, but my perception is that we kind of share it yeah. because in the end, we always have, let's say, the priorities and we are on the same track. And in a way, we we make it work. I mean, even when the decisions are difficult for one and not for the other, we always find a compromise. Yeah, so it's true. She's the... COO, um, and uh, which is good because we are also so complementary as uh, with our characters. I'm a little bit uh, all over the place, creative, and I like to um, think about you know where is this all heading, what is our strategy, and and Susie just um, uh, needs to then execute because sometimes um, that is uh, you know you need you need both. You need a plan, but you also need the execution. And Toto did once liken me to a donkey. He's the Arab racehorse that when he comes out of the pen, he goes and he's a very, very high performer. And I am a donkey. And don't underestimate donkeys because they never give up. They always keep going. And that's me. I didn't say you're a donkey. You know, there is this um, horses, uh, work horses in Austria, um, Haflinger, they're on the mountains, they go... They, with this, you know, with these legs, furry legs, and they go and go. And, um, and so she keeps that going. But once you, I'm pretty nervous, but once you get me in this starting box and you close it behind me, I run. And very fast. That is a, that is a brutal, brutal um, breakdown of how you two operate. Honestly, if you ever compare me to a donkey, we are in really hey, big trouble. Don't diss the donkey. They get there in the end. Right? Exactly. exactly. It's a bit... There's a bit of yin and yang going on here, but definitely, <clears throat> you know, there's a great saying, isn't there? Happy wife, happy life. I, I think that, that certainly counts for a lot as well. But how is it going with you two? <laughs> this is going to be, this is going to turn out to be like a marriage counselling session. Um, it's going all right. I mean, we have our ups and downs, Toto, as every good marriage does. Um, but again, I suppose a bit like what you said, you know, when you're, when you're um, operating in, in a sport like yours, I guess, and, and, and Ben's is, is similar to that degree where it's a technical sport, there's lots, there's lots of different moving parts, you're always on the road. You do have to have, um, you know, a, a, a very sympathetic partner to that scenario 
scenario, but also somebody I think who understands what it takes to, to get that show on the road and to make it happen. Um, and you do have to have a part. It is a partnership, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you're looking at me as if to say it's, it's not a partnership. <laughs> no, it, it, absolutely, it, it absolutely is a partnership because Formula One, you're on the road, what, 20 plus events a season and everything else you've got going on with business and having a young, you know, young Jack, you know, we sit very similar situation for us and you got to, you got to both be on board with what you're doing and support one another. Otherwise, it's it's going to fall over, right? So, what do you prioritise, Susie? What are the priorities? Because you've obviously got some. So, what are they? I would say for us, it's it's definitely a lifestyle. I mean, the amount the total travels, it's something that the whole family has to um, to buy into. Because otherwise, it would be impossible for him to do it without everyone kind of picking up the pieces behind. The priorities for me in which in which I think Toto does really well is managing, I mean, the family is the first and foremost. And yes, he's away a lot, but when he's here, he's very present, he's very involved. So it's quality, sometimes not over quantity um, that counts. And we are just, I would say, we've got it down to a fine art after so many years of, of being really good communicators. Um, I know if Toto hasn't called me all day, it's because he's super busy um, and he'll call me when he has the time. And we just always try and, keep the communication running so that we're not kind of being detached from each other as to what's happening on a daily basis. And uh, right now I've got a lot less work than Toto. So it's it's me at home hold, holding everything, let's say, together and, and you're traveling a lot. But I would say we we just set the priorities, which is, is family first and make it work. Yeah, and I think you need to acknowledge um, that we, we have different cycles sometimes in our professional life. Um, and there are, there are moments where I'm... Uh, in a supporting role, uh, going to the Formula E races. Yes, we had the Mercedes program there, but that, um, I also go there as uh, Susie's husband. And the same, I'm trying, you know, at, at the end we moved to Monaco also, and the impulse was that uh, Susie's office um, is here. So it's 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 literally it's a bit of a um, <clears throat> of a stigma, but it's a give and take all the time, and it might change also. <clears throat> it may change from time to time. Um, that that one needs more support than the others, but it needs to be balanced. What have you What have you most learned from one another? Well, I'll start from that because I I think I'm incredibly lucky to have for front row seat watching um, someone go on to achieve incredible success in the sport that I love, and I've definitely been hugely inspired watching Toto how he. Really? Yeah, maybe I don't tell you that often enough. Um, but also how he manages the team, how he how he interacts with his um, with his colleagues, um, and it's you know, I guess similar for you, Ben. It's it's a brutal sport. It's um, incredibly tough. You're only as good as your last race. But um, definitely having watched Toto is what gave me the feeling that when I got the opportunity to enter Formula E, that that I could do it because I just learned so much from him over the years and, and he's very good at also um, including me. So I'm, I'm part of discussions. Um, we most of the time agree, sometimes disagree, um, but that massively helped me and, and it means that we are, I'm able to always, always learn um, and in, actually enjoy it because it's a sport I love. Yeah, and, and I mean the other way around, what I've learned is that <clears throat> the incredible discipline that, that Susie has and that, that you need to that you need to um, remind yourself every day. There's many areas in my life where, the, where uh, that I have changed because of Susie's input, and uh, 
But again, they are also, we are so different that we acknowledge each other's strengths and weaknesses and we work, we work together in a, in a complementary way. I, I, I repeat myself here, but it is really the acknowledgement that you're different, but together we kind of cover, hopefully, a large chunk, a chunk of the 360 degrees. Now, the calendar for Formula One is banana pants, as we all know. There are an awful lot of races over the course of, over the course of a season. So how, how, do you, how do you manage that sort of lifestyle and pair it up with uh, home and away? I mean, my brief experience, I was there for a season, so I, I really only have a tiny amount to draw from. But it's the most incredible family sort of atmosphere. People are, are so kind, so pleasant in that, in that traveling circus. But it feels very much like you've got your life there and then your life back home. So how do you join the dots? How do you sort of make sure that it all joins up? I mean, Susie, it must be really helpful that you really understand the world of Formula One very, very well. So but how do you make that work for you so that it isn't two separate lives effectively? I think you need to um, differentiate. Um, for me, uh, the, the family is the family and uh, that, that, is, uh, that is something that that you need to distinguish from the tribe, the kind of wider organization, because we as a team, the, the core group has been together for a long time. And we feel a, um, a sense of belonging uh, professionally. We share uh, the same passion. We travel with each other a lot, but we also recognize that there is people you, you, hang, you want to hang out there um, because you're just on the same wavelengths. Others are a little bit different, but you, ha you have the same respect for them. Uh, we give each other freedom. So, you know, there would be the discussion who is keen in, in going for curry in the evening, which obviously I'm Austrian and not English. I'm not keen. And they're also choosing the worst places, um, like underground. But it is a, you know, it's a ritual that they have had since a long time and made us win many championships. But it's that There's kind a few of... good curry houses in Brackley, I think I found. Yeah, are they? Sorry. Okay, yeah. I think, I think there are, but there ain't not many good curry houses in uh, Shanghai uh, or, uh, you know, a, a few other uh, weird places. Um, I think they found one in Mexico City. Uh, so this is a, these are not the places I would go to in Mexico City. But it, it's, a, it's great respect for each other. I think that is what it is fundamentally. But my wife and, and my children um, are fundamentally the most important for me, as is my, let's say, my, my family, my sister and my mom. Um, and um, you can't choose them either. I mean, the wife I could choose. But everybody else, uh, you really can't. I'm overall I'd, I'd still say you chose pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Over, Thank you, Ben. Thank you for yeah. reminding him. Yeah. Overall, I'm, I'm still very happy with my choice. Yeah, um, good, good. good to hear. <laughs> That's a relief. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, she's super supportive because it's 23 races this year. It's going to be 24 uh, next year. We're trying to keep a certain normality in our schedule. Uh, we, we travel together. I try to have the motorhome wherever I am or the same hotel room to every place I go. I have my traveling assistant, Hannah and Julia, that come with me, the same driver at every location. Um, I eat the same food for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I never change it um, wherever I am. And uh, this gives me a certain frame or a certain stability um, that wherever I am becomes actually re less relevant because the setup is landing, 
car and driver, hotel, to the track. Um, sometimes it's just a jet lag that is something you need to cope with. But definitely it's, it's all about coming home at the earliest after the debriefing on Sunday. I'm really looking forward to see Susie um, and, and the kids. There's nothing better than, than coming home. I guess it was the same for you, Georgie, when you moved the whole family to New Zealand for the last America's Cup. I mean, I think you're invested in, in Ben's success and quite often sometimes Toto calls and says, look, I'm, I've got to stay an extra day or I've got to go somewhere. And I'm, I'm always like, hey, do it. If, it. if it's going to help the team, if it's going to help the performance, go for it. Because I am obviously invested. I want him to be successful. And, and I remember watching the America's Cup and seeing you down, down there and thinking, that's also a big commitment. I mean, how long were you there for? As a family. Yeah, the biggest commitment was the quarantine hotel for two weeks with our daughter. <laughs> that was the biggest commitment, being stuck in being stuck in a in a in a room in New Zealand for two weeks, twenty four seven. But it was yeah. I mean, you're right. You do you have to go on these journeys together because ultimately, um, you know, if you want to be successful and if you want to achieve things that you want to achieve, which which you know are a, are a massive undertaking, not just for you personally, but also for the entire family. You have to be fully vested, don't you? You can't not be all in. Um, and it comes, it does come, I suppose, you know, it's a first world problem, isn't it? The, 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 two, the two sports teams that you're involved in are, are, first, are first world problems, but it, it does come with its level of sacrifices, right? I mean, there are certain things. I remember going to New Zealand and thinking, we're in the middle of this COVID lockdown and we're going to be miles away from home. You know, my mum wasn't particularly well. There are certain things that you sacrifice as a result of, of going on those journeys together, friendships. Um, I, you know, it's one, it's one of those things that it's, it's, I find quite tricky and I, found, I have found over the years, certainly in, in our relationship, quite tricky, picking up and dropping down with friendships where, wherever you are, because that, that can happen quite a bit, I've found. Have you found that as well? It's sort of, you're sort of galvanized as a family force and you have people around you, but it can be quite hard sometimes with other relationships because you are in and out and all over the place all of the time. Yeah, I feel it very strongly because um, where I was raised in Vienna, it's a relatively small town and we are a close-knit group of friends that know each other from the age of six. Uh, we've been all in the in the same school. Uh, so you you look at it, I've I've known some of them more than, than 40 years. And I I miss seeing them. Uh, that they 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 tell me where they've been for dinner or which parties they've gone to or which holidays. And you feel that you are you're far away from that. But on the other side, what what gives me um, comfort is that every time I, I join or I pick it up or we see each other, it's like I've never been away. So there is a strong foundation of, um, among our group of friends that, that, bond, that in a way bonds us. So I, I, sometimes I don't speak to them for, for many months and then I come back and it's like we are the same bunch of 18-year-olds um, that, that have a laugh with each other. And I think this is really important to maintain that but it's but it's not easy um management style are you two you're, you obviously have different personalities as you've mentioned donkey racehorse don't think that's fair but we'll go with it um <laughs> she said styles, that you, you know i'm so happy that she said it because <laughs> it's super discriminatory which is not because we are on an absolute eye level i would say you're a little bit above me not size wise but uh, intellectually <laughs> emotionally um so uh, no, I'm making it better at the moment. 
So it's uh, absolutely, I, there's so much respect that I have for Susie. So this is more uh, more a laugh. But you say management style, they're so similar. But yes, yeah, so your management styles, I mean, are they similar? Susie, you say you've learned a lot from Toto in, in that regard um, when you were managing the Formula E team. Have, are, you, are you similar in your approach to leadership? And, and Toto, I know you have this, um, this uh, culture which is blame the process, not the person. Is, is, that, is that, are you both alike in your thinking with regards to that? Or do you differ in your management styles and your leadership styles? I mean, I'm interested to hear your answer. What I would say is, when I started in, in Formula E, as much as I'd learned from Toto, I also knew that I was going to have to stand on my own two feet, that I was my own person. And I definitely, having watched Toto, believe a lot in authenticity. You have to be yourself. And clearly, I'm not Toto. I am myself. So I think I definitely have a, a different style. I also think being a woman in the role in such a male-dominated environment means that in certain areas, I am very different. Um, and... Quite interesting. In what way? What, would you, what way would you say that women bring something different to that role? There's a couple of times where, where I've been on, on video conferences and Toto's been in the background and he's come to me afterwards and said, you were so hard in that meeting. You know, you, were, you had real... And I said to him, sometimes I need to be so hard because I sometimes as a woman surrounded by men to get that respect. And, and don't get me wrong, it's never in a disrespectful way that I'm hard, but I need to sometimes be very clear on what I'm, my expectations are and what's, what's gone right and what's not gone, gone right. Um, and maybe he's, he has a different style in that sense. But for me, in order to make sure that, let's say, the team functions I wanted, I, I definitely had to show a harder side. Um, but the communication I definitely learned, being, being open, always making sure there was no politics in the team and making sure everybody was always working towards the same goal. I think the fundamentals were, were similar, but because of our characters, the, the way we manage is different. And a couple of times when we came to very difficult situations at the beginning in the team, kind of sometimes people said, well, let's just, you know, you can ask your husband. And I said, no, you know, I've, I've got to take these decisions myself and I've also got to fail. I've also got to take the wrong decisions and know what failure is like, because I think failure is a, an important part of, of success as well. I think what Susie said, the most important is to be authentic in, in the way you act and uh, be true yourself. Because if you're not authentic and you're trying to pretend to, to do things a certain way, people are going to, you feel that, you know, even if it's, if it's not a conscious uh, cognitive um, reaction, uh, people when they, it's, it's quite an, in, an interesting analogy. If, if you speak to people that maybe are intellectually uh, not capable of really um, introspecting in a certain way, you show them someone on telly and they will have a reaction which is, I like the person or I don't like the person. And uh, a large chunk of that means how they perceive your authenticity, whether you're really that person. And th that's why you, you need to be who you are. And I'm uh, clearly... You, you, if you look at the two sides of the spectrum, you have an absolute uh, empathetic um, people's person that is that avoids the controversy, tries to management with love, uh, and um, and and will at certain stage be also disappointed how people um, abuse um, this this kind of personality, and on the other side, the baseball bat. You know, just uh, managing with terror and with anxiety, really pushing the people, um, 
over the limit. And I have seen this side function very well, and I've seen this side function very well. There's people, one of my uh, people that I admire for being authentic is Sergio Macchione. Uh, unfortunately, he died a few years ago, but who was the, the boss of uh, uh, Ferrari and, and what is today the Stellantis uh, group. He was hard. I mean, but he stayed true to his style and we, he was very successful with it. So you need to find out for yourself, uh, who am I? How, how do I do that? And I think whether you're hard or you're soft, whether you manage with empathy uh, or less, um, that becomes irrelevant as long as you understand what do I need to achieve with this organization? What do I want to achieve? And, um, and, and obviously, so everybody's different. Now, I, I had a, a different perspective on this because for those that might not know, for the last year or so, we've been working with the America's Cup team, Toto, with your team up in Brackley. And I've I got to say, it's been incredible seeing how the F1 team operates. You know, we've come from a background of, you know, circa 100 people in America's Cup team and you have, you know, just two, already 2,000 people at the Brackley site and many more with the engine manufacturing site. But the attention to detail and the process that, processes that you put in place you know, are way and above anything I've seen in, in, in our world of America's Cup. And so it's, like I say, it's been a fascinating process. Like what sort of thing? What sort of thing do you mean that's different? Well, you know, like Toto's saying, you know, the structure of the meetings and the way that people are encouraged to take some leadership. I think you call it leadership by intent. Toto, may, maybe touch on that. That's been a really fascinating process for us to go through. If you start with the preemption that you've that you've employed good people that are ambitious, driven, intelligent, skilled, competent in their area, uh, it is important to define the objective or the objectives. And it is not only the the company's objective, uh, which would be in your case win the next America's Cup, but it gets a little bit more. Um, uh, it gets it, it it has more dimension. What about the next America's Cup, 38. So what do we need to do in order not to jeopardize this? And it fundamentally comes to a point, um, what are the department's objectives? And then most important, what are your personal objectives? And we spend a lot of time talking about, we, we write them down, everybody's getting a, 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 a um, laminated uh, paper with the objectives and you keep it in your briefcase. And when you align around a certain objective, you empower, and uh, the the uh, there's a Spice Girl song um, that has this sentence: "Tell me really, really, tell me what you really, really want." And it is what you need to say as a leader, and what your leaders should say to their people. It is what is it that we want to achieve? What's the objective? And I leave it to you because you're you're the expert to deliver your part and deliver deliver. Uh, uh, to the to the overall objective, and if you if you can kind of buy into this, um, people feel empowered. Um, people are in a safer place. Uh, you can have tough conversations that we call tough love, and it's very important to remind people also about that. With these uh, conversations that we are, we have different perspectives or um, perceptions, and it can be quite intense. And then what I try to do is is to say, this is exactly the tough love comment. We share, are, are we in agreement that we share the same objective? Yes, we are. So youth coming from that way, and that is your 
perception that it's the right thing to do to achieve the objective. And then you have the other person with a different opinion. So what is it, where do we differ? And if you're able to to come together with with an with a compromise or with an with an agreement, or you um, agree to disagree. I think that that is managing um, by intent. This is basically uh, the, the the general that gives the intent to his lieutenants and to the officers that fight on the ground, and they always know in which direction or what the overall strategy is that we want to or the overall objective we want to achieve. Yeah. So in a way, it's the reverse of micromanagement. In a way, it's reverse, exactly the opposite of um, micromanagement. But here comes the problem. Because many of the leaders that, that I have met, and I have no doubt that you are similar, at least uh, from Susie, I know definitely, we are control freaks and we are micromanagers. So it becomes even more important to have yourself on the nose sometimes and say, am I getting too far? And what I have um, realized over my uh, 30 years or 25 years of working is that you need to know what's happening in the organization. That means you need to have an interest for the micromanagement or for the for the micro topics. Um, it allows you also to, in a way, uncover problems that, that happen and um, without interfering too much. When things go go um, go wrong. And this year has been a good example. I take a real interest and I, I dive in, but I would never expect myself to do the engineer's job. I'm just challenging. I'm coming from a more a balcony view rather than dance floor. And that can be helpful, but very often is also perceived as, um, as unhelpful. And uh, with our engineers, and James, James Allison is, um, is equally involved in the America's Cup with you, probably more than he's in the F1 team. I'm getting this feedback very often, a criticism that um, I'm, I'm involved too much. So yes, leading by intent, um, but also knowing what is really happening and having the view for the detail uh, and the, the decisions. Susie, what has Toto been like to live with this year? <laughs> Actually, just the same. I mean, we. what's interesting for us is... Really? We really? Never, we, we never took the success for granted. I mean, there were times um, over, obviously, the last eight years where it was more difficult, but there was a lot of times where the car was dominant and, obviously, the success was, was huge. But we always very much appreciated um, when when the success was there. And we also, maybe me more than Toto, I, I could see how they were all going after Mercedes. And, and that was clear, probably for the health of the sport, it was also important for them not to be winning everything. And we always knew that, the, you know, we were always respected the competition and we always knew that maybe it's it, the day's going to come where it's not as easy. So I think actually having had the challenge at the very beginning of the year, seeing that the car wasn't quick enough, it it somehow, I wouldn't like to say invigorated Toto because that's, um, let's say, given the connotation that he wasn't invigorated before. But, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And he dug in and this was the moment where he had to to really look into the organisation and figure out what had gone wrong and how they can could recover quickly. So hugely challenging. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I talk about failure being an important part of the process, but failure hurts. It's not nice not to win. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's the long game and it's understanding, okay, how do we get back to where we want to be? 
Um, and certainly, you know, the races now where we're getting closer, the adrenaline is flowing way more than it did when we were out in an easy one and twos. And that's racing. And that's what we love doing. How much has this year hurt, Toto? Uh, hurt? Not at all. I think uh, I've been through moments in my life that hurt. Um, um, this one is more a um, an annoyance, you can say, but annoyance in a, not in a way that that somebody else is responsible for us not performing. It's an annoyance uh, on myself, um, and it's an annoyance in, on all of us in the team that we took decisions that that were simply wrong. Uh, could we have seen this? Maybe some others, mm. others not. Uh, it is thinking about how did we react? Is the learning process was the learning process with the speed that it could have been? Probably yes, but it is you you you. You kind of set your own expectations in yourself, and not achieving them is, is is simply annoying. But it's important to not have any kind of entitlement either, a sense of entitlement. Um, we don't have that in the team. And like Susie said, over the last eight years, when we won consecutive championships, there wasn't the race where we were unskeptical. We were always thinking the next race is going to be a tough one, and we we could be losing everything. And, and and this is so it's not too similar from this season. You you try to get better from race to race, you have setbacks, you have you have good races, but fundamentally it's a professional situation. It is not a personal situation. Uh, we won't be losing any any sleep um, um, in 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 things going wrong. It's more like you're really digging deep and you're trying to understand. What is it? Because it's a state of mind that you don't want to be in. Yeah, I'd I'd be interested to to know if if you feel like you've learned more through this season than the previous eight seasons when you're totally dominant, and then you know going through this season struggling a little bit. And I, unfortunately, I know from my own experience, the America's Cup having ultimately not not come up with the goods in the last. Uh, last cup that it, it it's tough it's really tough particularly at the top of the organization it can be pretty lonely at times so have you have with, you have you found found that you've, you've learned through that process uh, maybe let me ask the question back i mean you're a perfectionist and you're one of the most successful athletes on the world in 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 your sport how was your mindset um and how, or your state of mind in the last cup when you could see you put the boat in the water and it was just it was just far off what did you how was your behavior well it was it was very different from when i was just a sailor to suddenly leading the organization i think if i'd just been a sailor i would have been shown a lot more frustration i'm sure i showed plenty of frustration but when you're leading the team you have to think about the wider group and it was clear i think for a lot of us, you know, even before we started racing in, in the cup, the way the development had gone, we weren't going to win. And that's incredibly tough for everybody to take. But you've, you've still got to go out there and perform. You've got to try and make the best of it and learn for the future and, and hold the team together. And I, I think that's it's an interesting element. And I, that's why I was interested for you this year if you felt actually your role has been more important this year than ever. 
Yeah, and let me ask you one question back before I respond to you. <laughs> Do, I mean, we are this all is in not a, a game of who's asking who the question, all right? <laughs> I mean, with the four of us in the podcast. Um, we, in sports, it's a relative game. In business, it can be different. It can be an absolute game. How much do, does my company earn, for example? And the benchmarking, in a way, becomes less relevant. Um, but in our sports, it's always against the competitor, against competition. You can really have a bad race or come out with a bad boat. If your competitors have done worse, you're still winning. Um, did you see from a personal standpoint, was it more that you didn't meet your own expectations or was it more a feeling of uh, loss or humiliation against um, um, a competitor? Because in my case, it is relative, of course, but it is more the fight against myself and the, the, the fight of, of trying to achieve a situation with the organization where I can really say, well, that was really good. We are far off from perfection. Perfection doesn't exist anyway, but we've done the best possible job. And, and, and of course, winning in the relative thing. But it is, it, is, it is more that. In the meantime, it was different earlier. Yeah, I know I would agree with that. It's frustration because more often than not with these America's Cup campaigns, and I'm sure the same with the Formula One, it's decisions that you made way back that affect the outcome for, for the next season or in our case for the next America's Cup. So then inevitably you think back, where did we go wrong? What decisions did we make early on in the campaign that set us down this path and were ultimately wrong? And that comes from the top of the organization. So you're responsible for that and you feel a big responsibility to the team. I think that's that. That's why I, I think it's, it's tough when things aren't going well. And, you know, I wondered how you get through that. And is Susie... Is Susie the first person you go to for support through that? What other people help you to, to get through that? I was, uh, you know, I'm responding to a question finally. Um, I learned a lot on the job, um, but I have a real interest in psychology. I'm probably the worst manager you can have, like a, you know, amateur Freud um, that thinks he knows everything about psychology. But I've, I've spent a lot of time on, on how, how does the brain work? How is our emotional status? And, and that, that has certainly helped me. And um, over the last few years, I, I took uh, a lot of pride to teach um, my learnings uh, in, in Oxford and in Harvard. Uh, I, had a, I had a great um, uh, guest lecture session in, in Harvard Business School. And people were speaking about the great success in the last eight years, and it wasn't done in any other sport. Um, and um, at the end, uh, people were to challenge that. And there was one student, I remember distinct, distinctly, who was the only one who was negative. He said, you haven't been tested. You haven't been tested over a prolonged period of time uh, with loss. And I thought about it this season. That is exactly what's happening right now. And everything that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I taught. And everything that I learned and everything that we discussed in the team, how will we react if that happens, becomes so difficult to actually execute. Um, it becomes difficult to stick to your values sometimes, not the fundamental ones. You know, it is, these, are, these are ingrained in us. But uh, your emotional state, uh, most importantly, the amount of pressure you exercise uh, into an organization that is under pressure from themselves already. And I think there is more to write in the book um, from this year's learning that it is from the, from the last, last eight years. And I'm actually returning to Harvard in, um, in October, November, and I'm going to give a live report of how it is to fail whilst having preached what to, you know, what to do to win eight times in a row. But for somebody like Lewis, who is an aging athlete, you know, you can't get away from that. There is a, a, a you know, a time clock at some point on, on his career as a driver. Um, how, do you, how do you manage his expectations as well? Because seven championship titles and obviously in the cruelest of fashions, that, that one fell by the wayside last time out. So how do you manage this driver's expectations who you know and he knows is, is the time the clock is ticking? I, I take a real interest in the in the people that I uh, look up to, and that I that I work with, um, and what what it is that make makes them function, and um, so Lewis obviously has we've grown very close together over the last eight years, and grow is is the right terminology because we've gone through difficult phases as well. And my learning was that I just need to try to provide the best possible framework for him in order to, to perform. And that might be also different than other people would perceive a relationship should be between the team boss and his driver. Um, but Lewis is totally mature and conscious about where he stands in his, his career. He's, he's looking at it from not only uh, he's not he's not being uh, led by his emotions uh, like I've seen with sports people that think it can go on forever and uh, trying to hang on to it. Lewis is rational and um, and and intelligent about it. He says, "I know I have a shelf life as a racing driver. It's clear. You can push that shelf life um, f- um, further away by certain lifestyle." by being very disciplined. And for me, someone um, as an athlete, and there's not many, but as an athlete and the way he works that I, that I uh, admire is Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, he's on the pitch. He's actually a real athlete. He plays the ball. He's being tackled. Uh, he needs to be cognitively absolutely on the top of his game. And, uh, and he's in his mid-40s. 
And I think that as a racing driver, cognitive uh, reception is crucial. So Luis knows that. He knows that one day he will not be the best himself anymore. That hasn't happened yet. Um, and he's doing everything to... to He's doing everything in, in terms of his how he's performing and how he's living that to, 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 to continue. But we've been talking about it. He said, um, I'd love to continue. Do you think we can do another five to ten years? Um, but this is more uh, jokingly. I think he has a few good years left in him and he's going to be the first one to say, I don't think I can compete against a 24-year-old that is as good as I was or even closely to how I was. And uh, that is simply uh, how it goes. But he has so many other interests. He's, he's uh, really very intelligent and also socially intelligent. I've obviously dealt with him uh, on our agreements. Uh, it's been three or four times now, and I have a real good sparring partner. Uh, so I have no doubt that uh, Lewis Hamilton is, uh, is going to, is, is not only the greatest racing driver with Michael in a way, but he's also going to be uh, successful in his own way in a, in a second or third career and reinventing himself. And Susie, what's your perception of it as well? Because, of course, you grew up with Lewis. You guys carted against each other. You know, you, you, have, you have seen his journey as clearly as anybody and been right then, then and there throughout it and probably stood on that pit wall with Anthony as well and watched him, you know, win race after race, you know, with, with Toto as well. I mean, what, what's your sort of take on where Lewis is right now? Because what a remarkable career. I think obviously he's done incredibly well, but it was clear he was a huge talent. I mean, from the age of eight, when he started winning all of those races, we knew uh, he was something special in the paddock. I, I saw firsthand the racial abuse at that age. You don't realize what it is, but I heard the names he was getting called. Um, and I think for me, what's, what's just as impressive as his on-track performances is how he has managed to use his platform off track. Um, and I think... It's easy to be the same as everybody else, just to rock up and race. Um, but he is different and he's not scared to be different. You know, he comes into that paddock wearing what he wants to wear. He's now created this catwalk for all other, all, all other drivers um, to actually express themselves and, and not feel the need to just rock up in team gear that like they used to do for, for so many years. And he's not scared to speak out. Um, and I think that's got to be applauded as well because he's one of the the biggest, I think, athletes in the world now because of all his, of, of his successes, but he's willing to use his voice and his platform for so much more. And, and obviously that comes with, with age and experience um, and confidence. Um, but I do think that, that also what he's doing off track is, is an inspiration for us all because I've more often than not been, been the only different person in the room. Obviously I was, I was a female in a male-dominated environment, but... Um, you know, we've, we've lived through those challenges and for him to stand up now and try to inspire the next generation, make it easier and speak up when he sees something that's not right, I, I think that's got to be applauded just as much as his on-track success. What can F1 do to be better from a diversity perspective? It seems like we are constantly talking about this but, but because it's constantly on an agenda, but is, are things changing? Are things moving in the right direction from that perspective? I mean, first of all, to your point, because he does polarise. And, and quite often when I meet people for the first time, one of the questions always is, and what's Lewis really like? Well, I can tell you for me, he hasn't changed at all over the years. Obviously, 
to the outside, he's he's a huge global star now, but he always asks me, how are your parents? And it's it's normal conversation because obviously he's known me also a long time and knows there's no um, hidden agendas. I think, you know, diversity isn't going to happen overnight. It's something that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take the buy-in from lots of different parts of the sport. But you're completely right, Georgie, in that everyone talks about it and says how important it is, but who is actually doing something? And I think that's why it's important to kind of set KPIs and to have clear targets. Okay, what are we going to change? How are we going to give opportunity? And I think, Toto, you being obviously with Lewis and me in the background, having the first-hand experience, it's enabled you to also have a, let's say, a better understanding of the situation. And, and that's why the organisation, I think, Mercedes and Formula One are, are one of the teams that are doing the most and having the most success on the diversity front. And it's only going to happen if, if you have the people in, in the powerful positions making the changes and setting the KPIs, because just talking about it is definitely not going to be enough. So a female F1 driver on the grid, for real, when might, when might this happen? I mean, obviously, we've got the W Series. Toto, you've spoken in the past about how Susie was robbed of the opportunity to do, do it this way. You know, when, when is it going to happen where we're actually going to see? And we won't be calling them a female driver. We'll just be calling them a driver. That would be nice. I think, I don't know if robbed was the right word, but I think there was such an opportunity for a team that, uh, that had a little bit of the corridor to, to dare and to, to, to risk because they weren't competing for a world championship or for race wins at that time. And having, putting, first of all, she had a huge privilege to be in the car. I think that was something that, that the management and, and Frank Williams took, and that was great. But she, she performed. Uh, she performed in the in the test. She performed in the free practice sessions on the weekends, and I think just having had her in the races would have been so impactful. It, she would she would have been even more of a role, role model than she is today because girls would have seen it. there's a there's there's a lady there's a girl racing actually. So this is why I was a bit critical of the situation. But in terms of uh, having a girl in the sport, I think it's really about Maybe you respond better to that. It's we have the same opinion anyway. But yeah, I think it's about getting a talent early enough and nurturing it because, like you probably know in your sport, Ben, it's it's so competitive. You have got to be the best of the best. Formula One is the pinnacle of the sport, so you have to be on the level, um, and that means getting a young girl at karting level and, and nurturing her and guiding her all the way up through um, the ranks to that she's ready to compete in Formula One. And I think W Series. It's great in that it creates opportunity, it gets girls racing, but we've got to be realistic that in order to make it to Formula One, you need to race against men. So segregating the sport for one level is maybe uh, good at creating opportunity, but it's not going to be the the, the lasting uh, solution. And we have a young girl in the, the Mercedes Junior Programme, she's only 11, she's competing at the front in European karting. and. I would like to think that if if she carries on in her path and she's got the right support around her, she'll have a good chance. Um, and there'll be many more out there. And it's it's just about increasing the talent pool, getting more young girls racing. I think right now, 1.5% of global license holders are female. I mean, that's such a small number. So unfortunately, Georgie, I think to see a woman on the grid, we're going to have to wait quite a few more years. 
Um, but I think it's it's something that would be, as Toto said, fantastic for the sport. I think when you look at, when you compare it to sailing, which is also a sport where there is no segregation, I think sometimes you can give, W is giving an opportunity to girls that, 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 that wouldn't otherwise compete in single seaters because it's uh, subsidized. And I think that is that is great. And um, from an entrepreneur side, the people that are involved, they, they took that risk and they did it for, for a reason. So, um, it's just the next step is the important one. How do you, you know, winning winning W and then uh, you still need to compete against against the boys in the in in the other series now. And if you imagine uh, sailing series only for girls, it gives opportunity. But at a certain stage, um, uh, the, the good girls have to compete against the boys. Uh, it doesn't take away from mm. that. We we have those two different approaches at the top end of our sport of sailing. You know, we had the America's Cup. We announced the Women's America's Cup for this next cycle in, in 2024, which is a great step forward. But like you say, it's not creating gender equity at, the, at that uh, in that America's Cup final. But then in SailGP, which is the other, you know, bigger circuit going in sailing, we, we are having female athletes on the boat. We only have one at the moment, but the, the plan is to grow that out to to two and then have have a 50-50 split on, the, on a crew of six. So... We're going through that process, but it, it, like you say, Susie, it takes a long time and actually giving those female athletes the quality time, you know, in the car or in the boat at the highest level, that's, that's what they need and that's what's really challenging to give them that access. I kind of, I, but we've been talking about it for a long time. Like Susie, Susie was a, a test driver for Williams a long time ago, and it's still not happening. I this is this is my this is my issue. We we've all been talking about this for a very long time, and it's not it's it's not progressed that far. We aren't we aren't that far ahead of ourselves. So I guess I guess there needs to be a collective look at everyone's selves to say right, we're going to really actually now make this happen, right? Yeah, and George, you know, I've got to the stage now where. I can't even talk about it anymore because I've done all the panel discussions, I've done all the interviews, and it's just the same stuff getting asked over and over again. And and I always have the same answer, but I would agree with you sometimes, frustratingly, it seems like we are not making a lot of progress. And that's why I think it it needs to be approached in a very ambitious way. And okay, set yourself KPIs. You know, what are the goals of each organization? How are we going to see uh, more diversity in, in the sport in the long term? Because just talking about it, um, and there's lots of social pressure on people running organizations now to have diversity, it's particularly for sponsors. And, and there's this, that expectation that there is some kind of um, ambition in that area. But I think there's still a long way to go. I think most importantly, is you need to see the. Uh, we came to the conclusion that we either don't announce um, objectives and we just continue like most of the organization to say we you know we should really have more underrepresented groups females in our in our team um, or say what does it actually we are we're performance driven it's the lap time nobody cares whether there's more women or, or, or more men um, or color of skin but we came to the conclusion that we believe if we look at the people that join us from a different perspective, uh, step out of the traded pass, we will perform better in the long term. And, and this is what we're doing. And now it has become almost a natural state of mind um, that we have 
more interest um, in, in, we have a lot of interest for the person. Now, clearly, you're hiring an aerodynamicist or a mathematician. It's important that you're hiring the best one. But uh, there is also the background. Uh, how hard has your upbringing been? What have been your, you know, did you stood, stood out as a leader or not? Um, what other passions have you got which we could look at and say, you're, you're driven? Uh, and how is your ambition? Are you, are you uh, aligned with our values? And um, so this has been a journey that is really uh, learning as we, as we get on, but I'm 100% sure that the Mercedes team in a few years will look completely different, uh, will perform on a higher level because we have set ourselves these objectives because of performance reasons. But something, Georgie, that will resonate with you when I was in Formula E, I mean, we had by far the most diverse team. We ended up with about a third of the team being female. And most of them were mothers. But I never shied away from, from hiring a mother because I know that we get stuff done because we simply don't have the time to deliberate or worry or not get stuff done. Um, and that, that obviously, you know, I didn't get any championship points for being the most diverse team. But I felt I spoke about the subject so much, it was important to obviously put my money where my mouth was and, and prove that a diverse organisation is also successful. And, and by being diverse, but also fighting for the World Championship, I think that opened people's eyes up in, in Formula E particularly. And there was one instance where my, my team manager, she's the only female team manager in Formula E, she came to me in, with a resignation and said, look, I'm getting divorced and it's going to be too difficult managing the childcare with my ex-husband. And I said to her, let's find a way. You know, I can comprehend what you're going through. I understand how difficult childcare care can be. Let's find a way um, to make it work. And we sat down, we looked over the race schedule, we figured out how it could be managed and she's still in, in the job to this day. And I think it's sometimes just also thinking outside the box and making sure that you understand people's personal situations. And through COVID and working from home, I think maybe as women, we have a slightly better chance of getting women up into leadership positions because people understand and are a little bit more flexible now on making it possible. Susie, what about you going going back into this into this world in the, in a professional sense, not just um, as a supporting role to Toto, but what if a call came from somebody in the Formula One paddock and they said, we've got this wonderful CEO gig and you'd be great for it. Could you take it? Would you take it? Would there ever be a consideration where there would be uh, you know, the Wolf partnership in the paddock in separate, in separate teams and separate setups. Is that even conceivable? You know, I always say I... She's I'm not so saying no. <laughs> no, 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 wait, Georgie, wait. I, I always say I'm, I'm super proud of, of Toto and what he's achieved, but I also know that I have my own dreams and ambitions and it's important for me um, to, to achieve in, in my own way. I've, I've always done that. It's just part of who I am and I think Toto also recognises that. But... For me, there's no chance for me to, to work for a rival team in Formula One. You know, I'm so invested and such a big supporter of, of the Mercedes team and I would never want to go up against Toto. We are stronger together um, and I think we are, we are in it for the long term. So for me, that, that wouldn't be an option. And also just thinking of the family logistics, that really would be a nightmare to two wheels in Formula One. I'd rather have her with me and with us than, than against us, but obviously... It's, um, we need to balance that right because she has been successful in her, in her own right as a racing driver, as an entrepreneur and as a, as a team principal. Um, but uh, 
yeah, she she does she she won't work for a rival she won't work for a rival team, um, but we can only work together on on eye level. It's uh, she's my partner. She's my she's my business partner. Also, we share everything with each other. She's been of great added value to the team in the background, um, and she's appreciated. So, um, uh, nevertheless, she's she's gonna find her next big thing. Whilst I won't be losing her for our company. And Tojo, I, I would love to ask the same question of you. You know, what's you've been so successful in the sport, and I know you desperately want to get the team back to number one, which we're, we're all certain that that will happen. But what what's the next challenge? What really, you know, what are you passionate about outside of Formula One, and what would you love to to take on? Um, somebody calls you. Uh, so it's Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> It's school Always. shoes arrival. <laughs> Should unplug the I bloody suspect, phone. Sorry. There's nothing yeah, no, you can do great. about that, is there? No, do no. everything about everything else, but not that. But, you know, we're juggling family life. And I think it's important to acknowledge that we are not uh, high-performance robots that don't seem to have the problems of every, everybody. They, you know, Amazon is interrupting your post podcast because they're bringing children's shoes. So uh, this, is how, this is how it goes, also for us. Um, What was your question? What's next? What's the big dream? So that is very, uh, that was an interesting um, exploration into my inner self. I've been for most of my professional life uh, in finance. Uh, with an, I had an investment company, I have an investment company. And what I loved is looking and learning about products, uh, different markets, Uh, business cases, how you could develop the organization, hiring the people and eventually exiting and selling. Uh, this is the nature of venture capital and private equity. And this was also the way how I came back to motorsports. I, I was a driver when I was young and then eventually I, I invested in a rally team and in a touring car team and then in Williams. And here I am today in, in Mercedes owning a, a third of the company. But when I joined, it was a project. It, I was buying uh, 30% of the team together with Nikki Lauda, 40%. Um, and it was clear we set our targets for a three-year period and that eventually rolled over in a, in a six-year period. Uh, but then um, I spent almost a year contemplating what's next. And, and that was a painful process because everything that I, that I learned in 20 years, which I thought was basically me in, the, in my love for the investment side of things, Um, and on the other side, the, the passion for motor racing and the love for the organization and the, 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 the so lucky situation to be representing such a mighty brand uh, like Mercedes. The relationship I have to the board that I had to the board and to the current board of Mercedes is, is adding value uh, to my life. I consider the Kalenius, who is the CEO, uh, a very good friend of mine uh, now. And... Um, And so I came to the conclusion, this is not a project anymore. This is my company. Uh, this is what I'm doing. I co-own a Formula One team, a successful Formula One team with a great, uh, with a great uh, group of people. I believe in the sport. I believe in uh, live content. Uh, our franchise values increase. Formula One is on the way up. We're starting, we're only just starting to tap the American markets. So uh, I'm looking at it from an entrepreneurial side. But obviously, in the back of my mind, I've also that we, <clears throat> we keep adding value. 
And um, that is perfect. So this is who I am today. And uh, that is, for me, a, a great conclusion. But it equal, equally means that I've also changed my um, timeline on things. It is not about <clears throat> every single race weekend or year. My timeline is three, five, ten years. Because whatever my role is going to be, team principal, CEO or chairman, it's still going to be my team. And I need to obviously do the best possible contribution. I give the possible contribution to the team. And I love that new perspective. But it equally means I can't never rest. I can never rest. You know, it's not like, okay, we've achieved that. I'm taking a sabbatical. I'm doing something else. And you know, like a like a football coach that um, that goes somewhere else. Uh, uh, that's 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 uh, that's but not it's, on. I'm, it's not like the mafia, though. It's not you know. You try to get out, and they keep dragging you back in. You don't you don't see it like that. Clearly, you see the potential in the sport, which is which is great. How can Formula One lead the way in in the motor industry to a more sustainable future? Um. We have a great responsibility with Formula One because we are the largest global sports. We are racing on all the continents and we have a, a billion, a billion and a half in, uh, in viewers. And um, so everything which we do is under magnifying light. So as it is for having more diversity uh, in the sport, it is equally about showing, showing the world how you can be more sustainable and what could be potentially better as the automobile industry. It's so counterintuitive in a way cards... You think of cars polluting the world and they have a contribution. So we can, in our race cars, in the fastest laboratory in the world, prove that um, we, can, we can actually contribute with our technologies to reducing those emissions. And how I see things is that the, the world is going to go electric in affluent areas, uh, wherever you can charge at home, um, in your house or in your office uh, or in your workplace. That's going to be a, a, a no-brainer. But by 2030, there's going to be 1.5 billion cars on, in the world on the roads that are having a combustion engine. So what we are doing is we are adding to the hybrid part of our motors in 2026, 50% electric and um, energy um, recovery and 50% combustion. And on the combustion side, we're going to go for 100% sustainable fuel with a, with a bio base. And... Um, and this is our contribution to the energy transition. We know it's going electric. We know that uh, what we do in terms of battery technology and efficiency is going to play a large part in the future auto industry. But we are also developing, developing with our fuel partners a fuel that's going to be a, a, a pump fuel that you will be able to get out there for your car which will provide you equal performance or more compared to today at an affordable price, um, but developed in the high-tech lab of Formula One. On the grid, Toto, when will there be a Mercedes carbon-free car? Um, in 2026. It will still emit CO2, but the way it's being um, generated will offset the emissions. So that will be, you absolutely said, saying the right word, it'll be, it will be a carbon neutral car. And when will the rest of the grid follow suit? Is that, a, is that something across the paddock or is that something yeah. that you're leading by example on? No, I think we're leading, we're leading the pack in terms of all of our uh, 
uh, activities. I think we, we are the first one on sustainable aviation fuel. We are the first ones in building a solar farm uh, in order to make sure that we can we are self-sufficient in, in our energy consumption and not taking away green energy for, from others. Um, but in terms of what's being what's what's being uh, what's going into the tank of our cars, it will be the same for all of the teams in 2026. These are the regulations, so all of the teams are going to contribute to um, the teams and their fuel partners, which is key, are going to contribute to developing this fuel. And crucially, there's no compromise on performance. Um, as it stands today, you can't develop a fuel that is uh, on the same uh, has the same performance. So we have uh, today an uh, E10 fuel, which means 10% of ethanol in our fuels, and that has cost us about 50 horsepower. Um, but the the more we progress, the more we will compensate the the lack of performance. And today, the numbers are more like around 150 horsepower for the 100% sustainable aviation, uh, 100% sustainable fuel. But I have no doubt that uh, going into the late 2020s, uh, that will be on, on an equal power like any other fossil-based fuel. So just to end, because thank you, and the time is ticking and I've realised that we've, we've used up loads of your time. So just to end, I just want to ask you both what a performance tip would be, because this is a performance people podcast, what a performance tip would be from both of you as to how you can perform better every day. So if a regular person like me amongst you is watching this or listening to this and wants a performance tip of how to be better every day, what would you say is a good place to start? Susie. Well, I always go by the mantra that, and this is maybe to take the pressure off myself because I'm someone that, that puts myself under a lot of pressure. I can only be the best version of myself. And that's all I can, can aim to be every day. And, and sometimes that's good enough and other days I fall short. But like Toto mentioned before, I'm, I'm someone that's rigorous on discipline. Um, you know, set yourself up to be successful by putting yourself in the best position, being disciplined as to how you live your life and, and bring your best self to the table. And you know, a lot of, of, of young people say to me, oh, what's the most important um, thing I need for, to be successful in this sport? And I always say, it's resilience. Don't give up. There will be tough days. There will always be tough days, but you've just got to, to keep going. Um, Think about the donkey and he'll see you through. <laughs> it's a halfling, a horse. It's not a donkey. It's a horse, but it's a... Uh, a high-performance horse. It goes and it goes. It never breaks down. It's not the donkey. So I can't believe it. You're never going to live that one down. No. no. I'm going to remind you of that every time yeah. we catch up. Just uh, don't start calling me donkey as a nickname. That's that's not okay. <laughs> Eeyore. Eeyore. Yeah. So uh, from my side, I, I've, I've learned to also apply Susie's... Um, Susie's mantra, discipline is extremely important. But how my life has uh, come about is, uh, I think there's a certain degree of drive that I had because of my difficult upbringing. But try to understand where you're really good in. And that means sp spend time thinking about, is there a skill, is there something in my character and personality that I think is superior to others? Because all of us have talents. What, whatever they, that may be. And if there's something you're good in, you're going to enjoy uh, to do that in your life. And then go about it, do the best you can, 
learn, try to develop every single day um, and be a better better person tomorrow in that respect and and do it all with a certain degree of easiness. It's going to be all okay and pan out if you have found something that that you're good at, whatever that is. I'm going to go away, find my inner talent and my inner donkey. <laughs> and the, the rest of the day will take care of itself. Maybe in that, maybe that, in that, in that order, the talent first and then the donkey. <laughs> but the donkey, you know. Oh, guys, thank you so, so it's, much. It's, thank it's you not so a much donkey. for chatting to us. It's not. <laughs> it's a, a horse. It's an Austrian it's horse. A horse. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks guys. So much, guys. Really Lots appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. It was good fun. Soon. Thank you for having Bye. us. Wow, so, I mean, what an amazing insight into two people right at the top of motorsport and performance. Uh, I don't know, you might, my, my take, big takeaway was Toto talking about the eight years of dominance in the sport and then this last season struggling, being on the back foot, but almost learning more from that experience than what's gone before. Yeah. I think that's a good lesson for all of us in our everyday lives, isn't it? That, you know, we're all going through disappointments, frustrations, but it's what can we take from that? What can we learn from that to push ourselves forward to be better people? Another good lesson to take away from um, today's pod, in my opinion, is never call your wife a donkey <laughs> in a <laughs> podcast. set up well for that one, Or otherwise, he? what are you doing, Toto? But in many ways, he, you know, he is so well-meaning and I understand exactly where he's coming from and I'm sure Susie when she digs deep can understand too that it came from a really good place and it is about complementary partnerships isn't it they're very different people but they work brilliantly together and that's why they have such a successful partnership absolutely just like we do Dan. but I think I think resilience is the big big yeah. thing that came out of that as well yeah. it's the resilience that they both have so yeah great lessons and not to call your partner a donkey got it um, thank you so much for watching or listening uh, with Ben and George Ainsley this has been Performance People and remember from what we've learnt today um, try and be the best version of yourself Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.